Greg Rambles, second episode, January 9th. Uh, how you all doing? I want to start out this podcast with uh, my person of the week. And I don't know if you've been watching the news, but all of the people from the election, of course, except for Trump, have really disappeared from the headlines, all except for one. Mr. Bernie Sanders was in the news for bringing a giant blow-up image of one of Trump's tweets to the House floor. Um, and the tweet was about not getting rid of Social Security and Medicare, which, of course, he tweeted during the election. And he says if Trump is going to go back on that tweeted promise, he should just admit, especially to his party and the American people, that he was lying during his entire campaign. Now, of course... Bernie would rather have Trump own up to the tweet and get things done. So Bernie is playing the hand that we were all just dealt with, and he's still trying to hold people accountable and fight to make the country better. Therefore, he is my person of the week. So I said something last week about Steph Curry that I want to half take back. I was watching the Golden State game on Wednesday night, and really paying attention to Steph's role on the team and how he's looking. And at risk of sounding like a YouTube commenter who has no idea what he's talking about, I think Golden State is fine. Steph Curry is looking great. He's playing really good defense, hitting shots when he needs to. If anything, he's kind of holding back a little bit for the playoffs. And I know that I said that Steve Kerr should be concerned about how Steph is doing I kind of take that back so all season all these other teams in the NBA are trying to make adjustments so that they can figure out just how to deal with this monstrous offense that is Golden State and they're going to make adjustments until the end of the season because they have to play Golden State and they're going to have no idea what hit them in the playoffs when Steph just kicks it up another gear. So I'm not saying that he's playing at the same level that he did last year. I'm just saying that he could if he wanted to. And obviously he knows way more about basketball than I do. And he's getting the guys on his team, including a former MVP, Kevin Durant, the new guy involved in this offensive scheme early on. And he's also not the number three option. I said last week that he's the number three behind Klay Thompson. But if you watch closer, Klay Thompson doesn't get the amount of double teaming that Steph does. So other teams fear Steph a lot more than they do Klay Thompson. Uh, another interesting thing is if you go and look at the box score from Wednesday night's game against the Trail Trailblazers, Portland. Starting five for Golden State have just insane stats compared to the bench. So I can't see Golden State not getting back to the finals, and I can't see Golden State not winning a championship this year. So I'm a teacher, and the semester is starting up again next week. So of course I'm getting all these emails about how to do things and best protocol for 
entering the second semester of the year, and I kind of dread these emails every year. It's, you know, get really detailed with your lesson plans and follow the Common Core, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. It's not maybe the most popular thing, but Common Core is not the greatest thing for teaching music. And I think the super detailed lesson plans are a crutch for the teachers. And in fact, they inhibit higher levels of learning. I think real understanding is the ability to converse, improvise, apply concepts in real time. And I'm, I'm really lucky to work with the administrators and the colleagues that I do. And they've been really good about, you know, me going out on the road and playing gigs. And it, it makes me want to put that much more effort into the job when I'm there, which is most of the time. I'm not gone that much. But I think one thing that's really working for us is that this oversight that I'm getting is at the school-to-school -school level. So I always feel like I'm just dealing with the people at my school until days where we have bigger district meetings. So I'm less concerned about what Common Core wants me to teach and more concerned with keeping my immediate oversight, which is really minimal oversight at that, keeping them happy. So when I'm there, I say, you know, I'm going to be there for five hours today. So I'm just going to go as hard as I can the whole time. And that doesn't mean that I have these super detailed um, lesson plans that are like, I'm going to talk for five minutes, and then I'm going to say this joke, and my students are going to laugh, and then we're going to talk about this, and the students are going to understand this. And that's, you know, it's really not how effective learning works. And in fact, I think you lose more students than you get when your lesson plans are too detailed. So for me, I have two or three things that I hope to get to. But the whole time, I'm listening to my students and trying to see the music from their perspective. And I have to be good at what I do to teach at that level. And I've seen some other music teachers that get music education degrees, but they don't have any musical depth to what they do. And they don't ever perform, and they don't write music. They just get the job, and they write it out. You know, it's a job with money and benefits. And there's nothing wrong with that. From an occupational perspective, you don't always have to be obsessed with your occupation. But when you add young people into the mix, you're, you're doing them a disservice if you don't have any depth to what you do. And it's no different in math, history, literature, science, you know, all those other subjects. Um, just because a teacher understands something from taking a class and is able to lay it out because they took a class and know how to do that, it doesn't mean that the students are understanding or even keeping up. So you have to be able to stop in the middle of something and explain it and animate it in several different ways. And 
you know, you need to ask the right questions. You need to provoke thought. Um, you can demonstrate and have students imitate or approximate what they think they're hearing. Or I'm sure there's a way to apply that to other subjects. I'm less of a YouTube commenter on this topic because I feel like I'm pretty good at what I do in the classroom and, and the stuff outside the classroom that allow me to bring perspective into the classroom. So if teachers were asking my advice, and hey, maybe they are, this is my podcast. We made it another week. Maybe I'll give some unsolicited teaching advice. So my advice is find a way to stay relevant in your field and bring some kind of exciting, real, thought-provoking energy into your class. And your students will respond positively. At the end of the day, it's really about them. And it's not about your lesson planning or things that you think will go well. It's about their understanding of specific material. And I think that's, that's where Common Core is lacking. And your students are going to tune out unless you're funny, good-looking, or a combination of the two. Unless you can find a way to relate to them on their level. Is that high and mighty enough? I guess. Uh, let's change topics. So I just can't get into Scarlett Johansson's character, the Black Widow, you know, in the Avengers. How does she compete with the other Avengers? I guess I'd just love to see more characters like Jessica Jones, you know, where girls have superpowers and not just a set of spying or kung fu skills, you know, and you look kind of across the board. Her counterpart super spy Hawkeye, kind of the guy version of her. He shoots arrows and he never misses. That's like a superpower. At least give her some kind of Tony Stark gadgets, you know, like the shield that he made for Captain America or, you know, something like that. Give her a special suit or something, not just leather spandex or... Uh, well, I guess she kind of has a special suit. Anyway, I was watching the last Avengers movie where there's all these people with superpowers and there's witches and aliens and crazy timelines. And my, my first thought in that opening scene where they're, they're undercover, so they're somewhere in Africa trying to scout out this terrorist and they're not... Well, Captain America's wearing his uniform, but Scarlet's not. She's in street clothes. And my very first thought during the fight scene was there's no way Scarlett Johansson's pants are real. It's like they're skin tight and she's doing these flips and kicking people in the head. And my first thought was to a couple weeks ago, I was playing a gig with the electric squeeze box orchestra in San Francisco. And I had on semi-tight pants and I went to bend down to take my saxophone out of the case and my pants ripped. So, you know, she's wearing pants just like mine, but they never rip. So that's her real superpower, I guess. She has pants that just tear or never tear. 
no matter what she does. So I guess I'm just jealous. Anyway, my good buddy and mentor, Rick Hirsch, put out an album this week on the 5th, and it's released under Rick Hirsch's big old band, and the album is called Pocono Get Down. Rick pretty much does what I do, but he does it in central Pennsylvania. So he's a saxophonist, composer, he teaches, and he wrote some pretty unbelievable music for this project. And he, he built it as a summit of small-town musicians, which most of them were. There are a few guys from Washington, D.C., Philly, Baltimore. Obviously, I'm not from a small town anymore. I'm out here in the city. But it was recorded in the Delaware Water Gap region of Pennsylvania, uh, also called the Poconos. And a lot of big-name pro guys from New York recorded that studio. It's called Red Rock Recording Studio. And uh, as we were recording the album, that Turkish coup was happening, you know, where they tried to overthrow the government, and it was insane. There was something like a couple thousand people from their military were arrested, and then after the government forces kind of won out, uh, a bunch of people were arrested, so like teachers and regular citizens, and the Turkish government was blaming this group called the Gulenists for the uprising, and the Gulenists follow a leader named Fathula Gala. It's probably the wrong pronunciation, but he happens to live in the U.S., in the Poconos, a few blocks from the hotel that we were staying at in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania, during the recording of this album. So that's just a colorful sideline to this amazing music that was being recorded. But anyway, I want to read what Rick writes in the liner notes. And so he writes the following. Spread among the small cities, college towns, county seats of Pennsylvania is a community of great musicians, fantastic artists you may not know of who get together, often driving hours to meet and make music that is every bit as creative and excellent as their big city, big name counterparts. This isn't specific to Pennsylvania. It's like this all over. Regional jazz scenes are thriving beyond the fringes of major metro areas and throughout flyover country. We've made this modern big band record to celebrate them. Let me unpack modern big band for you. Big band refers to the instrumentation we use, five saxophones, eight brass, and a rhythm section, a standard configuration since the 1930s. Modern refers to the fact that the music we perform is brand new. You might say that the body of the car is vintage, but the interior and the way it handles are totally up to date. I've been involved with modern big band music for 30-odd years, ever since high school, and I've been writing music like this for 20, so I've had a lot of time to think about recording an album, but the logistics of pulling this off, especially with the musicians spread so far and wide, seem daunting. 
When the pieces of the puzzle came together in early 2016, my first move was to assemble the dream band. I called up 20 of my favorite musician friends, all with strong ties to Central PA, where I have lived for the past 17 years. Because I know these musicians well, I have the luxury of writing them into musical situations in which they'll really shine, like Alex's accordion work on tango, Steve's improvised intro on Wonderful Tonight, Greg's soprano solo on Old Chief, and the Beck low rhythm team on Giddy Up and Metroliner. Equally important is the fact that we all like each other. The feeling of mutual respect and love is clear when you listen to the album. Ultimately, we hope that your day will get a bit brighter when you listen to this music and that you are able to appreciate and support the regional jazz scene in your neck of the woods. Enjoy, signed, Rick Hirsch. So that's the liner notes. Um, He said two things in there that I was really like, yeah, right on. And the first thing was he really knows the musicians that he's working with and he writes them into musical situations that he knows will let them do their thing. So I'm on the album and he featured me on a chart called Old Chief's Lookout. And it's kind of really open harmony and broken time and it let me just play as far out as I wanted. There was not a lot of structure and I thrive in that environment because I can kind of go in and out of the harmony. And I think Rick knew from years of working with me and probably from checking out my last album that, hmm, E minor's a pretty good key for Greg. Anyway, I I have a tune called Awakening on my last album, City People, that it's pretty similar. It's very open. It's a spacey, just open vamp, and it's an E minor. And so the second thing that I really like is what Rick is saying about small-town musicians because a lot of the time they get overlooked. And I've, I've played with a lot of small town and big city musicians. And most of the time, I don't see a difference between the two. There's some really killer small town musicians who, you know, play in a contained area most of the time in small towns and cities. And there's also pretty terrible big city musicians that I've worked with. There's also a lot of really good big city musicians, but it's pretty even. I think being a good musician is not about location. It's about you wanting to get better and putting yourself in a situation where you're always practicing, you're always playing with people, hopefully that are better than you, and going out or seeking out music that stretches your mind and makes you think about different ways of playing and writing. So if you look at the L.A. music scene, the guys that you know about from albums and movies, you know, the famous or jazz famous, as I call it, people are usually just people that have been working in that local scene for a while. And they get 
opportunities to record and perform because they live in LA and they can play, they can rise to the occasion. But sometimes smaller towns don't really have those opportunities, so you don't hear about the players as much. I, I moved to LA because I wanted to be a part of a scene, and I was really attracted to recordings of people that I associated with Los Angeles and, and USC to an extent, like Taylor Eichste and Tigran Hamasian, Ben Wendell, you know, the guys from Kneebody, um, Dark Olez, the bass player. Um, anyway, when, when I was first trying to play gigs, that was my approach. So I hung around with a few people that seemed to have similar ideas, and we would always play on each other's gigs and projects and albums. And What I found was that my understanding of music was shrinking because I had this kind of tunnel vision and a mindset of this is how we play and this is our sound and even though it might be new and modern it it was only looking in one direction so then one of my bosses at USC this must have been two or three years in um, called me to play a gig in Pasadena and it was at the Levitt Pavilion there were a bunch of people from the media there reviewing it and it was just a crazy band so it was Alan Pasqua's show Alan, Alan was uh, the pianist or keyboardist for Santana Bob Dylan, Eddie Money in the 80s and he played with Tony Williams Lifetime in the 70s And so Alan was on piano Derek Oles who was one of those guys that I admired from recordings that I'd heard was playing bass. Peter Erskine, you know, the Peter Erskine was playing drums. You know, he's one of the most famous and recorded drummers and most people know him as the drummer from Steely Dan on Reelin' in the Years. So Peter Erskine and then Ambrose Akimuzier on trumpet. He's one of the new kind of hip trumpet play guys. Um, so that rhythm section, Erskine Pasqua and Dark Oles, they, they play together a lot and they know a lot of tunes. So I kind of hung in there on the gig, but I was trying to play my kind of trendy modern stuff and it really wasn't working well with that rhythm section. And they're, they're some of the better supportive musicians in L.A. So I figured if, if my stuff wasn't working, I needed to get more perspective. I needed to get more history into my playing. And I realized that there's a lot of really interesting jazz from before 1960. <laughs> so my goal now is to be able to play with anyone and make it really feel like I'm communicating something through my playing. And so back to Rick Hirsch, anyway. I may be a little biased because I'm on the album, but Rick Hirsch is an artist, and his writing is so expressive, and the recording quality is great. And hey, there were some good solos on the album. Winky face. So 
Speaking of emojis, while we're on the subject, my mom is now using emojis to text me, and it's throwing me off. And here's why. So just a few years ago, before we all had iPhones, we were using those old you know, flip phones or uh, the slightly cooler ones that were like a solid kind of half of a soap bar-sized phone that doesn't fold. And do you know those, those T9 words? You have to press a combination of numbers on your phone and the device would have to guess what word you were trying to send. I had to guess because there were only three letters for each number. So every time I typed in jazz, it would spit out lazy, you know, because they have the same letter combinations. And I guess lazy is just a more common word. It was like the older, more annoying cousin of autocorrect. So anyway, my mom was trying to figure this out. It was her first cell phone back then. This, this was like 10 years ago. But I'd get a bunch of cryptic text messages from my mom, like, scrambled merchandise is on toast. <laughs> you know, obviously I'd have no idea what she meant, and I would have to call or email and ask, like, what do you mean by scrambled merchandise is on toast? And do you read the text that you're sending me? But she would answer, and she'd be like, oh, Saint Motel is on TV. <laughs> so we're coming from that. And now with, with her iPhone, she's sending me these emojis with just alarming precision. And it's throwing me off. Like last week, uh, my mom wanted to know if there was a video portion to this podcast. And I said, no, podcast is all audio, so you just have to listen to it. And she sent me back an emoji, just the right frowny face emoji. Not the standard one, but like the frowny face, like, uh, I guess I understand face. So I just thought it should be addressed because it's thrown me off. Uh, in other news, I was reading, there was a guy in Vietnam, I call him Vietnam Scissor Guy, and he, I guess he got into a car accident and needed some kind of body scan. So they scanned his body and they saw something weird, and it was a pair of scissors that were accidentally left in his gut after a surgery from 18 years ago. And had he not gotten into that car accident and needed some kind of scan, they probably would have stayed in his body. But how did he not know that he had a six-inch pair of scissors inside of his gut? The guy had no clue apart from some occasional stomach pain that didn't respond to painkillers. So... I thought that was crazy. Anyway, that's probably the most random thing this week. No National Enquirer headlines. So 
Let's do some questions. I got two questions. One comes all the way from Romania. Let's see. Luisa Zahn asks, is music more than a means of communication? Another music question. Okay. Does it take you to a different dimension as a musician or listener? Is it the same dimension for both parties? Or are we just imagining things and it's all a matter of science? The first time I felt the first time I felt I was taking off during a solo, I got scared realizing I lost physical contact with the ground, the world, and had to stop singing altogether and open my eyes for fear that I might faint or something. I know I went somewhere where the goosebumps come from. So that was like five questions. I'll try and answer them. Uh, so if, if you've lost contact with the ground, you might be an Avenger. You might have superpowers, Louisa, which is pretty cool. You can be in your own movie now, but anyway, uh, okay. So let's address, does it take you to a different dimension as a music or as a listener? Absolutely. I agree that uh, one of the most attractive things about music is the escapism or, you know, you seek out music that puts you in a certain headspace that if you're in a certain mood, it either enhances or combats that mood. And uh, is it the same dimension for both parties? I don't think so. You know, depending on where you are on earth, Something that sounds happy to one group of people could sound sad to another, or something like a song that you have personal experience with could uh, not be as meaningful for someone else that you show it to. Regarding, are we just imagining things, or is it all a matter of science? I, I don't think it's science, um, though there there is evidence that music or the ability to make music is some kind of evolutionary trait that is similar to language. But I think the fact that people experience music in different ways or just prefer different types of music uh, means that it's not really a scientific thing. And if it was, we would be able to predict, you know, what can go platinum and I would be a lot richer than I am if I knew those things. Um, so let, let me read that last part again. The first time I felt I was taking off during a solo, I got scared realizing I lost physical contact with the ground, the world, and had to stop singing altogether and open my eyes for fear I might faint or something. You know, I've, I've experienced that as a listener. Um... So I remember the very first year that I went to All-State Jazz Band. It was my junior year of high school, and I was playing baritone saxophone. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the number five spot behind the four other sax players that aren't playing baritone saxophone. And 
I got there and I was used to, you know, just being the best saxophone player at the district level and then at the regional level. And then I got to States and I remember a couple of the other guys, you know, they sounded good, but then the guy who was playing lead alto just blew me away. And I remember that feeling of wanting to faint every time I listened to this stuff. And it, I, you know, I'd heard great saxophone playing on recordings. That's why I got to that level because I was imitating uh, recordings and albums that I had, but it's another thing to hear it live, I think. And when I just heard this guy um, doing what I imagined at that time to be just burning through these solos, it was really overwhelming. And I remember feeling all the blood just rise or fall out of my head and wanting to faint or something. And so, yeah, I do think music is more than a means of communication. It's a very, very personal thing for a lot of people. And you can tie non-scientific things like experiences you've had or, you know, it's, it's like a smell. You know, if you smell something that relates to something you smelled 20 years ago can bring back those very personal memories. And it's the same with music. If you, you come back to a recording um, that got you through a rough time in your life, you know, it takes you somewhere, takes you back to that first moment that you heard it. So good question. All right, second question. Mike Jankowski, I remember you. Um, he says, how do you view State College now? State College, by the way, is the town in Pennsylvania that I grew up in. Back to the question. I grew up in the same town as you. I remember that. And spent some time in Hawaii and then ended up in Arizona. Every time I go back to Pennsylvania, my view of it changes. I can't really put my finger on what exactly changes about it, but I do feel change. Do you as well? Simple answer to that is yes. Um, it, I, I view State College as a really artsy small town in central Pennsylvania. And when I was growing up, you know, the first 17 18 years of my life, it's, you're there in State College, 365 days a year. You know, if you put a tracker on you and you watched it on a GPS, it's like you're just this dot in the same place for such a long time. So you view it as your whole world is that place that you grew up in and you know it better than people that come to visit and uh, people that come and go to college there just have a different perspective as they do um, so back to your question you spent time in Hawaii and then ended up in Arizona when you go back to Pennsylvania your view of it changes as it should you know you I think the more you travel and the more you meet different people the more your perspective of where you come from changes uh, you know, like the people and the landmarks and uh, the culture of a place all change when you go somewhere else. And 
you see another view, maybe a conflicting view or something that uh, supports how you were living back in Pennsylvania. So I, I've been to a lot of different places and just around the world. And in some ways, people are the same everywhere you go. It's like they have the same basic needs of life. But, uh, you know, if I'm in France or London or wherever in Europe, uh, they, they have different priorities. You know, it's, it's not like in state college, at least when I was there, it's, you know, you go to school, you do your after school event, either band or track or some sport or something. And then you go home and you eat dinner, watch the news, go do your homework. Um, in different countries, you know, school is either more spread out or condensed and there's more kind of social time built into it or more time with your family or your friends. They, they put more emphasis on culture you know, it's, I remember being in the Netherlands. It was right after I got off the road with St. Motel. I did this small jazz tour. So I went from playing for 80,000 people to playing for 80, if I was lucky. But I played at this small little club in Groningen, Netherlands. It was called The Lighthouse. And it was basically just a shipping container that had a piano and a drum set. Uh, it was not the biggest club, it was really small. So the band was on one half and the audience was on the other half and the people were just so into the music. They loved it, they just ate it up. And I remember thinking, wow, I, I don't get that kind of response in the US for jazz music at least. You know, pop music is the same. No matter where you go, it's popular people get big crowds and people freak out. But for jazz, it was different. And I felt just like they put more emphasis on culture and music. So yes, my view of State College when I go back changes and that's completely normal anytime you go somewhere. You know, when you go back to where you came from and see people that have been there for a long time or maybe haven't traveled as much, uh, it's, it's a little harder to relate to things that they just have a solid view of, about. And, uh, you know, that is what it is. But great people in State College. I always felt musically supported and had a good time for the most part growing up. So good question. Um, that's about it. It's about all the time we got. And Greg Rambles is now on iTunes. So please subscribe on iTunes. It's good for me. In fact, it's very close to another guy's podcast called Greg Wilmot Rambles. So not that one, but Greg Rambles. And as always, if you want me to answer your life's questions, you can email me at gregjohnsonjazz 
at gmail.com with the subject Greg Rambles. I'll see you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.